scammers are stealing hundreds of millions of pounds every year. They bombard us with fraudulent texts, emails and calls. And what's more, their tactics are getting increasingly sinister. To keep across the latest scams, sign up to our free Scam Alert service to help you stay ahead of the latest scams and protect yourself. Go to witch.co.uk forward slash scam alert dash newsletter. That's witch.co.uk forward slash scam alert dash newsletter. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Witch Shorts podcast. I'm Rob Lilly. This is the podcast where we bring you the very best articles from Witch. And if you like what you're hearing, then don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. And if you want to read more great articles like the one you're about to hear, then why not become a Witch member and get our award-winning journalism delivered direct to your door? Just head to join.witch.co.uk. I should say as well, don't forget to check out last week's episode if you haven't already, as we explore the exciting, intriguing and somewhat scary world of artificial intelligence. This week though, we're doing something completely different, as we head to northern Croatia and the stunning Istrian Peninsula. And as this is somewhere that I've been fortunate enough to visit myself, I'll take you through this piece, originally written by Julia Buckley. The main square of Svet Vincenat looks like a theatre set. Establishing the tone is a castle so stately that even the balustrades on its outdoor staircase are carved to look like a mansion's banisters. Running off it are neat streets edged with perfectly proportioned palazzos, and at the back of the castle, a grassed over moat the size of a football pitch doubles as a cafe bordered park. If it looks perfect, that's because it was meant to and the uncanny sense of Venice is no accident either. What had been a medieval hamlet was recast as one of the Renaissance's ideal cities by the Venetians in the late 1400s. At that time, Istria, the huge heart-shaped peninsula dangling into the northern Adriatic off the Balkans mainland, was spliced in two by the Venetian Republic and the Habsburg Empire. Svet Vincenat, ruled by the Morosini, and later Grimani family for the Venetians, sat near the border. Which is why it needed a castle, and a rich-looking town to show the other side what it lacked. Istria's complex history, battered between foreign powers for centuries before joining Yugoslavia in 1947 and an independent Croatia in 1991, permeates through every stone in Svetvincenat. While Istria's coastline has crossed the Rubicon of over-tourism, venture inland and you'll find unspoiled hilltop towns and a fusion of history, culture and old-school Balkan friendliness. The area around Svetvincenat tells the region's torrid history. Within a half-hour radius, there's Divigrad, a medieval village abandoned in the 18th century, making its eerie tumble-down walls and paved streets one of Europe's best-preserved settlements of the Middle Ages. In Bale, a delectable walled town, the air rings with Italian, not Croatian. This is the heartland of Istria's Italian minority, and in Beram's tiny church of St Mary, nicknamed Istria's Sistine Chapel, the 15th century frescoes depict the everyday with the divine, 
A woman beside the baby Jesus sports a basket of food on her head and chickens in her arms. A tavern owner joins jaunty skeletons in a dance of the death on the back wall. Svetvinsenat has its own Sistine Chapel, the graveyard church of St Vincent, the oldest building in the village. I came to this very place two years ago, convinced I'd missed my chance to see its mystical frescoes for myself, as it was sunset and the priest was already locking up. But, seeing my disappointment, he pointed to the graveyard behind the castle and handed me a key. Just put it through the door when you're done, he said, apologising that he didn't have time to take me himself. That's how I found the Church of St Vincent. After walking past the graves at dusk, I swung open the creaking door and turned on the lights to find shadows swirling around paintings. Souls in hell were shown boiling in oil, with a devil squatting on two demons for a chair. Then St Vincent himself was being tortured, barbecued and hurled into broken pottery to finish him off. The saints and sinners there, painted in the 13th century, were seared into my memory that night, but so was the priest's unexpected kindness. Now, on my return visit, the priest is out of town. Instead, I find Tony Saina and colleagues restoring the last judgement on the back wall. Istria is full of these jewel-box-sized frescoed churches, preserved as a direct consequence of poverty. The region has long been occupied by outsiders, who extracted its wealth, coal, wood and delicacies, to then ship it abroad. In the 17th and 18th centuries, people were tearing down medieval churches, Tony explains. And paintings were for poor people who couldn't read. Today, it's that history of adversity that makes Istria one of the most fascinating places in Croatia. The centuries of poverty have also carved a tasty legacy. In Motovan, Mariana Kotiga tells me how the region's bounty changed her life. I was a nurse, and Miro, my partner, worked in a factory. We'd go hunting to earn more money. We went every afternoon, weekends and at night. But it wasn't meat Mariana and Miro were after. It was Istria's black gold. Truffles. Today, the couple's company, Miro, sells truffles across the globe, buying extra from local hunters to keep up with demand. They also lead tourists on woodland hunts and offer tastings in the ground floor of their motive and home. The town itself is straight out of a fairy tale, coiled round a hilltop so high that you get a bird's eye view of mile upon mile of forested hills, the Adriatic glimmering in the distance. And with the slopes below flush with vineyards and the woodlands that once supplied the Venetian navy with timber, now prized for their black gold, Motovan has swiftly become a foodie destination. Miriana comes from a long line of foragers, and at Miro I sample her favourite products. Truffled cheese, salami, pate and salsa tartafata a heady source of truffles, olives and mushrooms that tastes like the forest. Then it's time for a hunt of my own, for the perfect wine. Istria is known for its Malvasia and Taran grapes. In the UK, Malvasia is better known as dessert wine, but here it's a highly aromatic dry white. Taran, meanwhile, is an indigenous grape that turns out regal purple wines, with a rich, almost sweet punch that's immediately deflected by fierce tannins, cleansing your palate like a strong cup of tea. In the hills around Motovan, 
It feels like there are as many wine awards lurking among the vines as there are truffles in the woods. In Caldir, a hamlet across the Motovin's olive-clad hills, the Benvenuti family have been making wine since 1946. A 15-minute drive south, in the village of Trivis, newcomer Luka Radanovic has been working with his dad since 2020, and their Vina Radanovic wines are already my favourite. We sit in the garden between two 200-year-old oak trees as Luca uncorks the bottles and his mum lays down a platter of home-cured cold cuts and cheese. His natural sparkling Malvasia tastes so peachy, it could be a Bellini cocktail. Before I leave, I want to understand Istria's role in Croatian independence. In the past 250 years alone, Venetians, Habsburgs, French, Austro-Hungarians and Italians have all played ping-pong with the peninsula before it joined Yugoslavia in 1947 and finally became part of an independent Croatia in 1991. Yet in eastern Istria, workers were fighting for independence a century ago. In 1921, miners in Labin went on strike against their Italian occupiers. When negotiations failed, they declared independence and started producing coal themselves. The Labin Republic lasted 34 days before it was brutally put down. It was, they say, the world's first anti-fascist uprising. Today, Labin's history is as layered as its mine shafts, which closed in the 1990s. Through the city gate, topped with a Venetian lion, I climb up through the steep centre, past the Baroque church and chapel housing a modern art installation, to the oxbud-coloured Battaglia Lazzarini Palazzo, the location of the town museum. In the basement is a reproduction of a mine shaft, forcing me to bend double and curl tighter until I end up on my hands and knees, crawling through the deepest section, panting with claustrophobia. At the top of the town is a belvedere, with sweeping views of the hills, the Gavana Gulf and the Uka Mountain that barricades Istria from the Croatian mainland, a natural border for thousands of years and now home to a national park and an ultra-traditional mountain restaurant, Dopalavoro. Below me is a very different site, the boxy Art Deco meets brutalism buildings of rationalism, the coy name for Italian fascist architecture. Podlabin is a mining suburb built in 1942 by Mussolini's dictatorship, which was creating new mining towns around the Italian empire to fuel the war effort. Raza, in the valley below, is another. Plunging down the hill from Labin is like revving up a time machine. I drop from the Venetian Empire to World War II, driving through Podlabin streets, past the Casa del Fascio, its tower block fascist HQ, to a vast steel elevator over the main shaft. Suddenly, time tips forward again. The word Tito is spotlit on the top of the frame, after former Yugoslav leader Josip Bros Tito beside the hammer and chisel mining symbol. The communists mined Podlabin until 1970, when the underground Warrens risked collapsing Labin itself. An hour's drive east from Labin, along a cliff-edge road over the Kvarna Gulf that's up there with Europe's most beautiful coastal drives, is Opatia, a Belle Epoque seaside resort that blossomed during the Austro-Hungarian Empire. To the west is Pula, home to one of the world's largest Roman amphitheatres. But between them both is this pocket of 20th century history, where the fight against fascism began, 
and another chapter of Istria's extraordinary history was written. There's only one airport in Istria, Pula. It's served during the summer season, roughly April to October, by various airlines. British Airways flies from Heathrow, and EasyJet from Luton and Bristol. TUI and Jet2 serve Birmingham, Manchester and Stansted between them, while Ryanair flies to Rijeka, near Opatia. Trieste is the next closest airport, around 90 minutes away, depending on where in Istria you're going. You can also fly to Zagreb or even Venice. And now Croatia is in the Schengen area, there are no border controls. Once in Istria, you'll need a car to get around inland. Thank you so much to Julia Buckley for her piece, originally written for the September issue of Witch Travel magazine. Remember you can find more articles you'll find useful every day on everything from money and technology to home and garden advice by signing up to one of our many free email newsletters. And you can do that at witch.co.uk forward slash newsletters. We'll be back next week for another episode of Witch Shorts. And thanks for listening. Witch Shorts was produced by me, Rob Lilly, while the exec producer was Angus Farker. Last minute escapes. In the sun? What is the best airline? Or the worst airline? What happens if my flight is delayed? Or cancelled? Would I be put on a new flight? Or would I be refunded? What if it takes me days to get home? Hmm, benefits of a UK staycation. When life gives you questions, get answers at which.co.uk.